today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. The imminent return of Jesus Christ should motivate us to holy living because Jesus is coming again. So Christians should be living their lives in sober awareness of his imminent return. It should motivate us to holy living. It is important because Jesus also said, be watching. In Matthew 24, 42, he said, therefore, keep watch because you don't know on what day your Lord will come. is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary's current message series is Answers to the Questions You Thought We Missed. Many troubling things will happen during the end times, but today Pastor Gary will highlight some of the amazing events. We don't know when it will happen, but it will start with a trumpet sound from God. At that time, the believers who have already passed will receive their new glorified bodies. Christ will return and take the Christians still living on earth to heaven so they can live with the Lord forever. Knowing all of this, we should strive to live a holy life for Christ, eagerly serving Him and leading others to Jesus. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary for part two of today's message on the end times. But there will come a time when Jesus comes back in the clouds only, not all the way to the earth, to receive Christians, to take us from the earth. That's what the rapture is. It is spoken of in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and particularly verse 16. The word rapture is not in the Bible, but originally when the Bible was translated from Greek to Latin in the New Testament, Jerome, who translated in the Latin Vulgate, used the word raptus, where in the Greek it was harpazo. And it means the same thing, to be seized, to be snatched, to be caught up. And we get the English derivative rapture from that Latin word raptus. So it's in the Bible, in 1 Thessalonians 4.16, in the Latin. We just have an English derivation of the word. And it's an incredible event, and I spoke about this more extensively. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time. If you go back to the teaching library just a couple of months ago when we were in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I talked extensively about the rapture. In a nutshell, there's going to be a trumpet sound from God, and it talks about how Christians who have died will rise from the dead, not that they are in the grave, their spirits are already in heaven, but their bodies rise so that they can get a glorified body that will be reunited with their spirit. So the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are alive and remain, Christians who are on earth at the time this trumpet is sounded, will be snatched up, will be raptured, will be taken up to heaven so we could be with the Lord forever. So that's the rapture. And that event can happen at any time. There are plenty of other biblical prophecies still related to the second coming. But there's not another event that has to happen before the rapture. After the rapture, now I'm presenting a pre-tribulation view here. This is the way I believe scripture teaches. 
that Jesus raptures us, takes us before pre-tribulation. Because after the church is taken from the earth, just physically snatched, just removed, just one day a bunch of people are here, and the next moment a bunch of people are gone, okay? Following that is seven years of tribulation. Now, by the way, on this little chart, you know, I have the arrow going raptured up, and then tribulation starts. We don't know what kind of a gap is between the rapture and when the tribulation starts, You know, don't be under the illusion that, well, when the church gets raptured, tribulation starts immediately. There's nothing in the Bible that says that. What it just simply speaks of in the large preponderance of Scripture is that the church is raptured before tribulation, but the church might be raptured, and the tribulation doesn't start for 10, 20, 30 years afterwards. We don't know when, starting in Revelation 6, the unleashing of these cataclysmic events will happen on the earth, but seven years of tribulation between Revelation 6 and 18 speaks of earthquakes and asteroids and oceans turning to blood and vegetation dying and boils and hundred pound hailstones and all kinds of things that are going to happen on the earth an upheaval like never seen never understood before and so there's going to be seven years of that at some point after the church is raptured then jesus comes to the earth because at the end of the seven years of tribulation is this cataclysmic battle called the battle of armageddon that happens there in Israel in the valley of Megiddo, where nations will converge against Israel and against the God of Israel to make war. And Jesus returns then to the earth and ends that battle of Armageddon, and he establishes his throne then for a thousand years. We're going to get into that question in just a minute. So when we talk about his second coming, that's kind of a broad term that actually means two events. The first part of Jesus' second coming is only in the clouds when he calls the church to come up to heaven. He doesn't come all the way to the earth. It's a snatching of the church to keep us safe in heaven for the duration of the tribulation. Then he comes to the earth. And Zechariah chapter 14 talks about this, that he comes specifically to the Mount of Olives, which was what the angel said in Acts when the disciples watched Jesus ascend. The angel said, why do you men stare into heaven? This same Jesus will return again to the place where he is taken from. And Jesus comes, Zechariah 14, back to the Mount of Olives and physically comes back to the earth. The saints come with him that were in heaven. And then there's a thousand-year reign. So I'm not going to answer every question that long, but I just wanted to give the whole overview to that. Why is it important? 1 John chapter 3, verse 3 says, Everyone who has this hope purifies himself. The imminent return of Jesus Christ should motivate us to holy living. Because Jesus is coming again. So Christians should be living their lives in sober awareness of his imminent return. It should motivate us to holy living. It is important because Jesus also said, be watching. In Matthew 24, 42, he said, therefore keep watch because you don't know on what day your Lord will come. Now, the other part of one of those questions is, is it a relatively new concept? It actually isn't. I pulled out some historical references. Origen, who wrote in the 2nd and 3rd century A.D., he talks about the rapture. A guy by the name of Rufinus Aquilia in the 4th century A.D., he writes about it. Augustine in the 4th century A.D., he writes about it. So it's not a new concept, but honestly, we've just given it more attention because of like Hal Lindsey and Tim LaHaye and a lot of others who have written about it and... And so it's something that has gotten more attention. All right, another question. What is the Antichrist and who is it? (laughs) 
I have some opinions about the second question, but I, I won't share it. It's not appropriate, and uh, it's probably wrong, but I just like to think in my mind sometimes when I'm watching different political leaders, I wonder if that's the Antichrist. That's what I think to myself. What is the Antichrist? Okay. Let me share a few things with you so that you can just have a quick overview. The Antichrist has different titles throughout the Bible. He's called man of lawlessness in 2 Thessalonians 2. He's called the man doomed to destruction. He's called the Antichrist, 1 John 2. He's called the foolish and worthless shepherd in Zechariah 11. He's called the beast in Revelation 11 to 20. He, there's a lot written about him in Revelation 13 in particular. He's called a ruler in Daniel 9.26. And he's called the abomination that causes desolation in Daniel 9.27. And Jesus quotes from Daniel 9.27 in, uh, in Matthew 24.15. And then as far as his tactics go, here's a quick summary of what he's going to be about. Uh, he will be a charismatic political world leader who will be given dictatorial powers by a ten-nation confederation to rule the world for three and a half years. So uh, what Revelation talks about is that we are heading towards a one-world government. Like it or not, the Bible predicts that it will happen. I don't know that we will be here for it, because I think when you look at Revelation, church gets taken from the earth in Revelation chapter 4. But you do see references throughout Revelation of the world heading to a one-world government. It will be divided into different territories or different regions. And there will be a representative from each region who will form this council. But the Bible talks about how the council will turn all of its power over to one of the rulers among them who will be the Antichrist. Some political world leader, maybe he's on the scene now, maybe not. Uh, maybe he's in the shadows, maybe he's prominent in politics or in government. We don't know. Um, but this particular individual will end up having dictatorial leadership over the whole world. Number two, as far as his tactics go, the Bible says that he will oppose God, he will proclaim himself to be God, and he'll demand to be worshipped. And he will kill those who refuse to do so. Uh, which leads into another question we'll get to in a minute about the mark of the beast. Also, number three... He will gather the nations together against Israel for the battle of Armageddon. That's Revelation 16 and 17. So he's the world leader that brings everybody together to do that. And number four, number four, he will be overthrown by Jesus at the Lord's second coming and cast into the lake of fire. So that's a little bit about who he is. So we, we don't know who this person is, but he will come onto the world scene, be very liked, be very diplomatic, be the one to be able to get world religions together under one big banner. In the middle of this, he's going to make, a, Daniel says he's going to make a covenant of peace with Israel for seven years. But in the middle of it, he's going to proclaim himself to be Messiah. And unfortunately, the Jews today who believe that Jesus, that Yeshua is Messiah, they're going to be taken in the rapture. And Jews, like others, will still be able to get saved during the tribulation who are left behind, Jews and Gentiles alike. But for those who are left behind, many will think that Antichrist is actually Messiah. And many will put their hope and their confidence in him, only to be duped later when he proclaims himself to be God, sets himself up on the wing of a temple in Jerusalem to be worshipped, and then the eyes will be opened. Uh, so that's a quick overview of the Antichrist. What is the mark of the beast is a question. There are seven references to the mark of the beast in the book of Revelation. It speaks of some kind of insignia mark uh you know i know it in our tech world it might be a chip on either the right hand or the forehead 
and you can't buy or sell without it. So it's a way for the Antichrist to control world economies. You, you have to worship the Antichrist, who's known as the beast out of the sea in Revelation 13. You'll be forced to worship him. And in order to buy or sell, you'll be forced to take the mark, which is some kind of mark, insignia, or chip, either right hand or your forehead, in order to buy or sell. So it's a, it's a way for Antichrist to control world economies. Now, I was in the line at Safeway, uh, I don't know, a few, few months ago. This lady in front of me, stumbling through her purse, trying to find her wallet and stuff, and, and she couldn't find it. And so she just kind of remarked, she just kind of remarked out loud. I don't think she was like making a biblical reference, but she just said, you know what would be easy is if I just had some kind of chip like on my forehead and you could scan me. And the cashier went, yeah, that would be really cool. And I was like, no, it won't. No, it won't. They didn't understand why I was so alarmed, but I had to explain it. But anyway, all right, another question. What is the millennial reign? And then these are several questions together. Does the Bible speak about what life will be like after the tribulation during the thousand years that Christ will rule on the earth? Will we have to work? That was the question. And will people still be able to get saved in the millennial reign? So let me talk first about the millennial kingdom. Millennial kingdom will be a period of a thousand years when Jesus will rule from Jerusalem on earth. And when you look at Isaiah 11 and Isaiah 65, it talks about a time of peace, longevity, prosperity, and security. Now, when Jesus is ruling, literally ruling from Jerusalem, there's going to be a time of peace because the Prince of Peace is ruling, right? So the world is going to be completely different. You talk about one world government, but it'll be a wonderful one world government when Jesus is on the throne in Jerusalem. Antichrist now has been overthrown, okay? Antichrist and false prophet thrown into the lake of fire. Satan is bound for these thousand years. Unfortunately, he's going to get released for a short time after the millennial kingdom, after that period, just for a season. Then he's going to be thrown into the lake of fire with the Antichrist and the false prophet. But when Jesus comes and rules for those thousand years, you're going to have Satan bound. doesn't mean there won't be any sin because people's flesh will still give way to sin, even though Satan won't be around to influence us in an extra way. And Jesus is going to be ruling, so you're going to have all kinds of peace around the world. You're also going to have longevity. Isaiah chapter 65 says, Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his years. He who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere youth. He who fails to reach a hundred will be considered a curse. So it talks about how people will live long lives. It'll be time of economic prosperity and it'll be time of great security. Now here's a little misnomer that many people go around quoting. It does not say anywhere in the Bible that the lion will lie down with the lamb. People quote that all the time. It does paint a picture of that, but it actually tells us in Isaiah 11 and Isaiah 65, the wolf will lie down with the lamb. It's the wolf that devours lambs, not a lion in particular. The wolves go after the lambs. What it is speaking of is that in that day, it talks about how little kids will be able to play under the deck and, and they won't get bitten by, bit by serpents. And it talks about the wolf lying down with the lamb. What it means is that during the millennial period, for that thousand years, during this thousand year period, between when Jesus comes again to the earth, establishes his kingdom for a thousand years, every wild animal will become tame. And mankind will be able to coexist peacefully with the animal kingdom like it originally was. 
It wasn't until Genesis chapter 9 when the flood came that we read in Scripture that the fear of man came upon animals and the fear of animals came upon man. Before Genesis chapter 9, when the flood ended, animals peacefully coexisted. The animal kingdom and mankind peacefully coexisted. There's going to be a return to that in the millennial kingdom. Isaiah 65 and Isaiah 11 talks about it. So a great time of peace and tranquility. Will we have to get jobs? The saints won't. But there will still be people, understand, there's going to be people who survived the tribulation period, who put their faith and trust in Christ, who weren't necessarily martyred. Somewhere near the end, the the battle of Armageddon comes. There's still going to be believers who will go into the thousand-year period, living as human beings. Life will pretty much exist during the thousand-year reign like it does now. People will have jobs. People will have families. They will live together. It's a different picture for the saints who come back with Jesus because 1 Corinthians 6 says that we rule and reign with him and we actually are used as judges in the earth. Because Paul warns us in 1 Corinthians 6, he's talking about frivolous lawsuits. He says, you saints are going to end up judging the world. You all are going to judge angels. Now, what he means by that is fallen angels, those who have rebelled against God, the fallen angels. Christians, the saints, will be standing as representatives of of the Lord as judges in the earth. So we're not going to have like normal jobs like the rest of people, but there's going to be survivors of the tribulation period who go into the thousand years, and yes, they will have jobs like everybody else, and life will be pretty normal. It's just the big difference will be Jesus is on the throne and he's ruling and reigning. Somebody asked, what is the day of the Lord? Uh, That phrase, the day of the Lord, is used 25 times in the Bible, both Old Testament and New Testament. It is not necessarily speaking of a specific day. It can refer to a season. A lot of times in the Old Testament, the day of the Lord refers to his judgment. In New Testament, the day of the Lord refers to the second coming, which again is a broad topic, not just necessarily a single day. Somebody asked, is it possible that more people die by God's judgment in Revelation than all the Old Testament uh, by God's judgment? You know, the world's population today is about 7.5 billion people. And Revelation does talk about the death of a lot of people, but it doesn't get specific. So I, I wouldn't know how to weigh out those numbers. Here's two questions that are similar. Do you think the world is going to end soon because of all the natural disasters happening? What does the Bible say about this? And number two, are current natural disasters a sign of the Lord's forthcoming return? So Luke 21, 11 talks about earthquakes, famines, pestilences in various places. We have a lot of that going on in the world today. Uh, Luke 21, 25 talks about there will be perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the seas. So earthquakes and tsunamis, pestilences, famine... These things are increasing, but not rapidly so. I think uh, it's hard to distinguish whether some of this is just the natural turmoil of our world or whether those are specific things related to his second coming. But any of it, I just kind of look at as we just need to be ready. Besides Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet who get cast into the lake of fire where they are perpetually tormented, will others who are non-believers who end up there be tormented in the same way and and i think the answer to that is yes because it talks about in revelation chapter 20 verse 15 says if anyone's name was not found written in the book he was thrown into the lake of fire now this is the great white throne judgment this is revelation 20 talks about it and then thrown into the lake of fire where satan the antichrist and the false prophet have already been sent 
And it tells us that when Satan is cast into the lake of fire, along with the Antichrist and the false prophet, it says in Revelation 20, verse 10, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Some people think that hell is annihilation. It's not. Neither is the lake of fire. It is perpetual torment. A person is not annihilated. It is perpetual torment. I don't know if you heard the, the Pope, Pope Francis, came out with a statement that he doesn't believe in hell recently. And that he believes just that the soul disappears if they, if they aren't with the Lord. Um, the Vatican has since come out with a statement recanting it, saying, no, that the, that the person who did the interview got the information wrong. But it's left a question mark as to what he believes. Pope Francis did clearly say in, about a month ago that he wanted to remove a line from the Lord's Prayer. Lead us not into, into temptation. Just strike it out because God doesn't lead us into temptation. Well, that is a, that's true. But the reason Jesus said those words is that we would continue to pray that God would help us not to be led into temptation. So interesting things happening there and recently what the, the Pope has been saying. But um, I think that we are, those who are, I say we, those who don't believe are cast into the lake of fire. It's perpetual torment. Who is given authority to judge on judgment day? Is it just Christ himself or are all the saints given authority to judge? I mentioned that a moment ago. 1 Corinthians 6, 1 to 3 tells us that we are as well. What is the next event that the book of Revelation says will happen? The next event, really, Revelation 3 talks about the different phases that the church, that Christianity will move through. And you have the church of Philadelphia, which is the evangelistic church. And I think that we're in that season right now and after that you see that the last church is the church of laodicea which is the apostate church i don't necessarily believe that you go from one complete season to the next i think that they all kind of run together you have at the same time a very evangelistic move you also have apostasy that's creeping into the church i think that when you look at the timeline of events we are at revelation 3 and the church gets raptured in revelation chapter 4 so that is the next thing that happened. Are we in the end times? Yes. And we have been since it really, I think the pivotal point that, that kind of launched the spark to the timeline hastening was the re-emergence of the nation of Israel, May the 15th, 1948. We're coming up on the 70th anniversary of the nation of Israel. By the way, the first country, the very first country to come alongside Israel when they asserted their independence on the May the 15th, 1948, was the United States of America. 11 minutes after Prime Minister David Ben-Gurion asserted Israel's independence as a Jewish state, President Harry Truman, a very devout Christian, Bible-believing man, said, we're getting behind Israel. 11 minutes after they asserted their independence, the United States came alongside Israel. Yeah. Will we be doing a teaching about the book of Revelation? Yes, eventually. Uh, when Jesus comes, will we go to heaven right away? Yes. Uh, does Cornerstone believe in pre-trib rapture or post-trib rapture? Uh, we believe pre-trib, again, that, that Christ returns. Christ returns before the tribulation period. Thanks for being a part of Pastor Gary Hamrick's study on Cornerstone Connection. Would you like to learn more about our ministry? If so, please visit cornerstoneconnection.cc. There you can read about Pastor Gary's heart for sharing the gospel message with the world. 
as well as listen to past messages he shared. We also have companion resources located under the Teachings tab. These digital study guides are designed to accompany the message series you'll find in the audio library. And we hope they'll shed some new light on familiar passages of the Scripture. Are you in the Leesburg area? If so, we want to meet you. Pastor Gary serves as pastor of Cornerstone Chapel, and he'd love to shake your hand and hear your story of Jesus stepping into your life. Come by our services on Sunday at 8.30, 10, or 11.45 a.m. to hear from the Bible and spend time in prayer and worship. Or join us Wednesday at 7 p.m. for an in-depth time of Bible study. Find directions and more information about all that's available at Cornerstone Chapel at our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. If you can't join us in person, we'd still love to include you in our virtual church family. Watch our services live through our stream. You'll find a link under the Teachings tab. Thanks for tuning in today for Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know